Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. I'm your host, Chris Saplinski. I'm so glad you're listening today. As always, our focus is to help HR professionals increase their value to their organizations by arming them with the best practices and strategies to attract, motivate, and retain top talent, and in turn, have a positive impact on the bottom line. Today, we're diverging slightly off our typical subject matter, but with good reason. We want to discuss something even more important than strategic best practices or company profitability. We're going to talk about how HR can literally help save lives. Suicide is a growing epidemic in our country. According to CDC's National Center for Health Statistics, there were 44,965 recorded suicides in 2016, compared with 29,199 in 1999, representing a 35% increase. In 2015, suicide was the 7th leading cause of death for males and the 14th leading cause of death for females, and was the second leading cause of death for people between the ages of 15 to 24. Today's guest believes that the workplace is the ideal venue to address mental health issues and suicide prevention. She's going to tell you why, and more importantly, what you, as an HR professional, can do to provide the tools and support to your workforce so that none of your employees add to the sobering statistics I just mentioned. Anna Mittag, Bachelor of Civil Laws and Bachelor of Laws, is Vice President of Operations at LifeSpeak, an employment well-being and engagement platform containing 2,000 videos, podcasts, and chat sessions on topics ranging from depression, suicide prevention, and sexual harassment to financial stress, marital issues, and mental illness. Throughout her career, Anna has focused on helping people by using her network, position, and skills, many of which were honed during her year spent as a litigator in an immediate and practical manner. Her work with LifeSpeak gives her the ideal platform from which to talk about workplace well-being, particularly as it concerns mental health. Anna, welcome to HR Works. Thanks very much. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for coming. What is the impact in the workplace when an employee commits suicide on coworkers and managers, etc.? The impact is, um, of course, in one part, emotional, um, in the sense, you know, coworkers and managers are human beings, just like anybody else uh, within the circle. Who, who knows somebody who, who takes his or her life by suicide. And so, and there are people who have seen uh, this person every day at work, who may be very close to them, may have friendships, uh, may, they, they may have been a mentor or so on. And so the impact is, of course, devastating on an emotional level. There's sadness, there's disbelief, there's anger, there's self-blame, there's guilt. Um, all of the emotions that you would expect anyone to feel after the suicide of a friend or a loved one. Um, I think, in that sense, coworkers and managers are no different from anybody else. I think there's another layer to the impact when it's a coworker who, who dies by suicide, and that is, of course, to an organization's productivity. Um, people who are reeling from a coworker suicide are not concentrating at work, um, may question their own role at work, uh, may be sort of absent from work, or we'll see a lot of presenteeism. They're, just, they're there, but they're not thinking about it. And so that's sort of the additional um, 
dimension of what coworkers and managers might feel and experience after a coworker's suicide. Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of impacts. Um, mm -hmm. I understand that you believe the workplace is the ideal place to address mental health and suicide prevention. Uh, can you explain why that is? Sure. Um, by and large, I think that's so because of practical reasons. Um, people who work for an organization are kind of a captive audience for any uh, awareness initiatives, for example, that, that HR uh, wants, to, wants to put into place. People go into work every day, they get communications that they, they can't or don't ignore, um, and it's an ideal way to, to reach people. If you send out a communication about you know, the nature of suicide, uh, rec trying to recognize signs and symptoms, how to talk to somebody if you think they might be having suicidal thoughts. Um, people are going to be receiving that information, kind of whether they like it or not. Mm. Um, and so in that sense, it's ideal. And it's also um, kind of a, a, a great place to destigmatize something that is as sensitive and difficult to deal with as suicide, um, you're in a more neutral zone when you're at work. It's not like you're sitting, you know, at Thanksgiving dinner with your extended family trying to talk about this. Um, and if everybody in an organization is receiving information and education and support on suicide, I think it's easier for conver conversations to spring up around the topic because it's a, a less loaded atmosphere than, than any other atmosphere. Excellent points. Um, and, you know, there's also um, definitely a lot to be said, you know, HR being able to, to teach, uh, teach workers to be vigilant and looking for potential signs of trouble uh, from their colleagues. Um, I also understand that you think support at the workplace uh, to someone who may actually be suffering from a mental health issue uh, or be at risk for suicide might be more effective than support that comes from outside of work. Uh, can you explain that? Sure. Um, going back to the point I made a little earlier, first of all, about the workplace being a slightly less loaded mm. zone yeah. uh, to, to perhaps talk about some of these issues, particularly if the workplace and the organization has put time and resources into destigmatizing mental illness and suicide in particular and making giving people the tools to to talk about it. The other reason I think that it's uh, kind of ideal is that it can be the last place uh, that somebody who is thinking of suicide has kind of sustained and regular contact with 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 people um, at home they might be withdrawing from their family life uh, you know they may be kind of shutting down and not talking to people whereas they kind of have to go to work and um, sort of come face to face with their colleagues and I think that those colleagues may be well, placed or ideally placed to be able to see the signs and symptoms of somebody that they are used to seeing day in and day out and start that conversation uh, with the tools that they have at, at their hands from HR and also because that conversation coming from a, a colleague where there's not quite the same um, difficult, complicated uh complex relationship as there might be with a family member uh, might actually be easier or more successful. Got it. Um, this next question, I guess, is, uh, you know, could be argued as a matter of perspective or subjective, but 
What's your take on an employer's moral and ethical obligation to provide employee resources to deal with depression and suicidal thoughts, you know, versus just having a more productive, profitable employee? Yeah, that is a, <laughs> that is a sort of a tough question. Um, and, and it's hard to move away from what I personally believe. Certainly an organization, you know, doesn't have an legal obligation to uh, to support their employees with mental illness and uh, you know suicide that type of thing but I do I do believe that there's a, a moral and ethical obligation um, the line between people's home lives and people's mm-hmm. work lives has become quite porous you know over this past generation people, work at home. Um, People are at work uh, a lot longer than they used to be. Uh, Employers are asking more of people than they used to because of uh, technology and social media and so on and so forth. You're never actually turned off from work and you're never actually turned off from home. So I believe that the nature and mandate of a company has changed over the years and that an organization has a, let's say, a a moral mandate Mm -hmm. to care for their employees as whole human beings who deal with stuff at work and stuff at home and not just making sure that, you know, they're okay at work and they have the tools with which they need, they need to work. Um, That's where Mm -hmm. I think the idea of a moral or ethical obligation comes in. Um, some people might disagree with me, but that's uh, that's my sense of it. Oh, I was just about to say, I appreciate your ans- your candor, and I happen to agree. So, um, and and you know, and I, I know that you uh, you know you talked about the, you know the destigmatization, um, and I'm sure that probably factors into the answer of the, for this next question. But you know, you also um, you know, stress that, that you believe it's important that company wide communications about mental illness come from top leaders within an organization. So aside from, um, you know, as part of efforts to destigmatize um, the topic in the workplace, are there any other factors that go into, um, into why you think that's important? Sure. Um, obviously, destigmatization is a big yeah. one. Um, I think that any uh, human resources initiative that is important uh, like suicide prevention and, and mental illness, illness awareness should be uh, communicated uh, from the company leadership to an organization. Mm-hmm. couple of reasons. First of all, it places the right amount of importance and emphasis on the fact that this is something that the company really believes in and really wants their employees to, to consume. And I also think that it gives employees permission to take the time uh, out of their busy work day to educate themselves, to make use of these resources, uh, you know, to make the calls, to attend the seminars, to watch the, the video trainings, because they're being told by their leadership, we believe this is important. We're going to do it ourselves. We want you to do it. And that's why we're giving you access to it. On the topic of executives, but on a completely different uh, side of the coin, um, what can employers and HR managers learn from the high-profile C-level suicides of Kate Spade, uh, Swisscom CEO Karsten Schlotter, 
uh, Zurich Insurance DFO Pierre Wathier and other business executives about the stresses and mental health challenges faced by presidents, VPs, and other business leaders. And how can a company care for a CEO or president who might be having suicidal thoughts? Sure. I mean, I think that first and foremost, um, people, you know, C-level suite employees and and workers are just like anybody else, as we see, um, as uh, susceptible to uh, changes in their mental health, as susceptible to suicidal, uh, you know, inclinations. Some people argue that there are certain personality types who are more likely to uh, think about suicide, people who are high achievers, perfectionists. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case or not. But I do know that and when we've seen that, you know, high level leadership is just as susceptible as as anybody else within an organization. And I think one thing that might be true is that they may be more successful or more inclined to hide those thoughts or feelings since they are very used to uh, keeping a leadership position, um, you know, keeping a lid on things and showing strength. So that, that might be the case. Ultimately, I think, um, you know, HR or companies uh, role when uh, a leader may be having suicidal thoughts is pretty much the same as it might be for anybody else within an organization. Um, One of our uh, expert, uh, LifeSpeak expert speakers, uh, Sally Spencer Thomas, gives some really, really simple and and great advice to anyone uh, who thinks that they might know somebody who's having suicidal thoughts. And that is simply to talk to them. Um, She'll give a couple of examples of ways of maybe broaching that conversation. You know, I, I, I noticed lately that, um, you know, you've been a little bit detached or that you haven't been showing up for our usual lunches or uh, you said something the other day about um, just wanting everything to be over and done with. That really sort of concerned me. Um, you know, I'd really love to talk about it with you. Right. And just a simple overture like that can be the difference between night and day in a situation like this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't think that's any different when that person is a CEO or a president. Um, People need to understand, and the the message from human resources needs to be that everybody uh, is as susceptible as anybody else, and anybody has the right to have that conversation with somebody if they're worried about them, regardless of their, um, you know, of their their status within the company. And I also think another thing that's important is that information and access to support resources, you know, EAP, uh, you know, suicide education, prevention, that type of thing, should be equally delivered to everybody within an organization, not just blasted out to employees and managers, but sent in exactly the same way with exactly the same message to uh, to upper leadership so that they start thinking about this as something that it, it's for them as well. It's not just for their employees. Got it. Great. Thank you. Um, so you've made some excellent points about how organizations, um, you know, can make communications to their employees. And a lot of this um, sort of interaction, though, you know, maybe things that are noticed by what, you know, people say or, or behaviors that are observed. Um, 
How about in the situation of our remote workers and telecommuters and freelancers, you know, in, in our, quote, gig economy? Um, one could speculate that these workers could be experiencing more stress on the job due to, due to the fact that they're isolated from the rest of their team. How can employers offer remote support for workers who may only, you know, come into work, quote unquote, in a traditional office once a month or less? Mm-hmm. No, that's a great point. I think that uh, remote workers um, need exactly the same support, and I, I get it that they're not surrounded by their colleagues day in, day out. Um, we at LifeSpeak provide information and support on suicide prevention and mental illness uh, via expert-led video trainings. Um, and so in that sense, what I believe is that if you give an organization equal access to the same information, regardless of where or how they work or when they work, uh, you're already ahead of the game because everybody's getting the same messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and people who are working remotely, who are connected to their organization via email, via intranet, can have access to exactly that same information in that way, if it's consumable that way. The other thing I think that's important, um, actually for any, any type of wellness information, but particularly for uh, information and support around men- mental illness and suicide, is that that information be available to employees, family members as well. Um, I think that an individual's well-being doesn't start and end with that person. It actually extends and is reliant on uh, their their circle around them. And for remote workers who aren't, you know, seeing their colleagues every day, they're much more likely to be interacting, um, you know, at odd hours or any time of the day with the people that they live with. And if those people have access to exactly the same information and support, um, then you can come to approximate the same experience for the remote worker as you would for somebody who comes in uh, to the office every day. Great. Uh, well, thank you. This, this has uh, uh, been um, very informative and uh, I appreciate you coming on to share this with us. Do you have any um, final advice for HR professionals that want to get started in terms of raising awareness about suicide prevention and providing information and support to their workforce? I mean, I would suggest that, that human resources leaders start, uh, as they would thinking about any other wellness initiatives, um, by, you know, checking out what's, what's available. Every organization is different. Their culture is different. Their communication practices are different. Um, and there are a number of resources available out there. Uh, and the likelihood that one is going to fit their needs is, is quite high. Um, I, you know, I, I would definitely start by, by doing some research um, and uh, listening to leaders within the field to see what, what they would suggest as, as the best way to get started. Um, but most importantly, um, you know, taking that first step and, and, and doing something about it is the most important. Terrific. Uh, Anna, I really appreciate that you've... Uh you've come on to speak to our audience on this uh, crucially important topic today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Listeners, uh, in our next episode, Ray Bixler of Skill Survey will be here to discuss how having the right reference checking process can help ensure you make the best hires for your organization. Uh, Look for that on Tuesday, November 20th. 
And uh, please contact us on Twitter at HRWorksPodcast. That's all one word. Uh, to suggest future topics, give feedback, or just say hello. For HR Works, I'm Chris Saplensky. Have a great day.